Okay. Why don't you come on in and let's get started. Charlie asked me to fill in for him tonight, so Char and I are going to kind of team do this. I thought tonight, um, since I speak twice a week and am constantly presenting scripture, that maybe what we do is a little bit different uh, and just share some life experiences. Uh, the truth is I'm uh, three times as old as most of you, so we've had a little more experience in life. Um, yeah, you're much younger. <laughs> Six months to be exact. Um, but um, we had passed out cards and either you didn't want to hear it or <laughs> you didn't think to write anything down. Um, what I want to do is is we'll share a little bit of our personal life story each and then we'll get into some areas of, say, marriage and children, ministry and leadership, and then a little bit of just what's happening in our hearts today. So, uh, you know, it's always changing, and, and there's always things to be considered. Uh, if we hit a point, you're going, well, wait a minute, what? go ahead and ask. We're not going to be bound by that uh, tonight. So if you come up with a question, you're going, well, that, that raises questions. That's fine with me. Um, if you're going to be nasty, I will tell you so. <laughs> I don't feel too bad about that either. So, uh, Cher, why don't you share a little bit of your upbringing and okay. what to this point? Uh, my mother was raised in a Pentecostal uh, church, uh, married young, uh, eloped at 15, and it was abusive marriage and... Uh, so she sort of walked away from God at that point. Um, my dad was raised in a very rough family in Kentucky and uh, was raised by his paternal grandmother, was supported by his mother, but never stayed a night in her home until he was close to 30. Um, she supported him financially. She also... Um, she was an orphan. She married at 13, divorced at 15, had my father at 15. So real rough background. Um, my mom came back to the Lord shortly after I gave my heart to the Lord. Second I, marriage for both. Second marriage for both of them. Um, I was riding a bicycle on August 14th. I won't tell you the year. <laughs> Let's just say John Glenn had just gone up in space. Um, so it was a long time ago. Um, saw an outdoor uh, children's club meeting. Was waved in by the lady who was leading the meeting. Heard the gospel message for the first time in my life. I was six, going on seven. Gave my heart to the Lord and started going to church on a Sunday school bus. Um, my mom started coming Shortly after that, my youngest sister was born that year with um, some birth defects. My dad uh, and my mom uh, 
were struggling in their marriage at that point. And so she was beginning to get desperate and beginning to cry out. And once she gave her heart to the Lord, there was no going back because she just sort of plunged in totally. And uh, I was raised in a, a missionary alliance church, which was a very strong grounded, uh, biblically grounded church. And the lady that led me to the Lord was uh, a teacher of mine for the next four years and really taught me a phenomenal children's Bible teacher and taught me the Word of God. She really did. I mean, I really grasped hold of the stories of the Bible, and um, they were very uh, valuable to me. I was called into ministry when I was nine, that year, we uh, moved to Arkansas from Massachusetts and became involved in a Pentecostal church, grew up in that, uh, always helped my mom. My mom was a children's teacher and started helping her uh, from a very young age. I started telling the Bible. Actually, she would have me come uh, lead the songs for the children's services because she couldn't carry a tune. And um, so I would help her lead the songs and then started teaching the stories. And so became a children's worker when I was 12, actually. They were taller than me, most of them. Um, Knew I was going into um, Bible college. Went to Bible college. uh, Went through that. uh, Started in ministry with David Wilkerson. That's where I met John. And we worked together for two years, got married, and um, I guess, I don't know, I always knew from the moment I heard the very first Bible story, it was the story that she told the day that I gave my heart to the Lord was Jesus dying. And even at six, I knew that he died for me and I had never told him, thank you. I mean, that's, that was my memory, was um, he did this for me, and I've never even said thank you. I've always had a very strong awareness of the presence of God and the voice of God, uh, and that's, that helped me. You know, um, I have f- four sisters, two older, two younger, and out of us five girls, um, my youngest sister, who is deaf and blind, serves the Lord. And an older sister who had many years of um, not serving God and living uh, in, a, in very poor choices is serving the Lord now. But my other sisters are not. So, I, you know, it's always been a thing for me as... We were raised in the same house with the same mom. My, my father came to the Lord when I was a, um, a junior in high school. And, but he always struggled uh, with grace. He never believed he was good enough. Um, he struggled with alcoholism. And so uh, he, even when he wasn't drinking, he still had a strong desire to drink when he was upset something like that, and uh, so he never felt that he was worthy to call himself a believer, and he, he just struggled with that, and uh, 
So even though I was raised in a home where my mom was very strong in the Lord, my dad was not, and he wavered back and forth. He loved God, um, very much loved God, but struggled with his own worthiness before the Father and never could really accept fully that God loved him and would take him as he was and then work on cleaning him up. Um, He felt like he had to be clean before he could come. Um, I guess probably one of my biggest struggles when uh, John and I got married was uh, I'd already been in full-time ministry for a few years, and so uh, starting to step back from the definition of who I was by what I did for the Lord into who I was for in the Lord, and especially once I started having children where I could do less and less um, actual ministry in the church. You know, I used to teach Sunday school. I taught children's church. I did nursery. I did the bulletin. I cleaned the church. I, You know, whatever a small church pastor's wife needed to do, I did it. And then as I had children, I couldn't do that as much because they took up time. And I went through about two or three years where I had to start um, believing God say to me, what you do, whatever you do for me is ministry. Because that had defined my life since I was nine. I'm called into ministry. And uh, just to hear God continually tell me, whatever you do is ministry uh, for me. It is what I have called you to do. And I have to say, probably, if, in looking back in my life, the, the greatest thing that I think I have done in the Lord is to raise children, to raise my children to know the Lord. And I, I've had the privilege of praying with each of my kids. Um, Heather prayed by herself and then came to me. Adam, uh, all when they were three. I can't tell you why that was the great number for them, but somewhere before their fourth birthday, each one of my kids came to me and asked me to pray with them or told me that they had um, prayed. That's a privilege that um, a lot of people don't have. And so I would say that probably the greatest thing that I have done and and has had impact on what I've done in all the years after because what I do now is I mentor young women, and all I'm doing is I'm parenting them. You know, I'm just sharing my life. This is what worked for me. This is what the Lord told me. This is the failures I've made. Um, this is how uh, he's demonstrated himself real in my life. And a few years ago, when when Heather had Judah, I had gone down to visit her, and Um, her church asked me to speak to a women's group. And the Lord gave me the verse in Hebrews 2 where Jesus is speaking, and he says, Here I am and the children you gave me. He's talking to the Father. And the Lord just really impacted me that if I can go before the throne of God and say, Here I am and the children you gave me, whether they were my biological or my spiritual children, then I've done everything God has asked me to do. You know, I didn't have to go to Africa. I didn't have to 
uh, be a national speaker. I didn't have to have a television show. All I had to do was take care of the ones that he put in my care, in my keeping, and um, do my best to share him. Okay, I'll go for a bit. <laughs> I did get one card handed in. I'm going to take care of that first, and then I'll give you some, um, some of my story as well. Uh, the question was, what knowledge, wisdom, or experience do you have now that you would um, tell yourself or during first pregnancy, raising your first child from a father's perspective and from mom's perspective? Um, just a few things I, I made notes of during the week. Um, parents have been parenting for centuries. And there is kind of a thought that comes out nowadays that uh, you've got to have the right training to do a, a decent job of parenting. The truth is, people have been getting it fairly right for a long time. Now, there's losses of knowledge that happen in every generation, but there's also step-forward times in the Lord. You know, the source of all wisdom is God himself. And so I have this strong belief that as we rely on the Lord to give us wisdom and instruction. He will either send the right people our way or they'll come the right thought in our thinking or we'll come across a, some source of knowledge that helps us move into to health. Now, do you get it all right? Nah, <laughs> not even close. But the fact that you are handing off to another generation what's been handed to you has worked fairly well for a very long time. And so, you know, we all have the dream of preparing our kids to do better than us and that they would do better with their kids. And in some measure that works, in some measure there's, there's failure as well. But I just, you know, I put that out to you and just say, if you're going, well, I don't know if I'd ever be capable of doing this or I don't know if I'd ever have the wisdom. It, it's given by God and you can have confidence saying that if I apply myself in him, I will get most of this right. And it doesn't really matter how messed up my family history is. Um, in Christ, there's an opportunity to make changes at last. A um, couple other things uh, in regard to kids. They kick the selfishness out of you in a way that you never dreamed possible. Um, they're brutal with it, and it starts right from infancy. When they're crying, and you don't know what they're saying, and they refuse to stop, and you try to do everything you know to do, and it's not enough, and you're tired, and you're miserable, and they still require more attention, there's something that just starts breaking in us that's appropriate breaking, but it's this selfishness that just kind of gets pushed aside that, um, not to be recovered for a very long time, <laughs> and uh, just be aware. Um, I like the principle of two-on-one. I like parents ganging up on a child, or tag-teaming, however you call it. Uh, I think that's completely fair in family life. Um, you know, when one gets tired, you pass it off to the other. And if the little critter is, is uh, you know, bent on rebellion, um, just take turns, and win. That's what I, <laughs> you have to. <laughs> you have to win. I mean, 
it, it has to be challenged and, and overcome for their well-being. But uh, I, I love the principle that God laid down that way. Um, you're saying, what about three kids? Well, just isolate them. Go one at a time. That's, that's my suggestion. Um, consistency and discipline have huge rewards in parenting. And the more that we can put that into action, the better off we are. And we can make excuses for ourselves, but those things really bear dividends. Um, most lessons are caught, not taught. In other words, who you are as a person somehow gets built into your kids, good and bad. There are certain things that at times I've, I see, in particular one of my sons, that uh, I get so frustrated with, I, I, uh, I, I just go, I, I don't know if he'll ever get this right. Because he's very much like me in, in some things. And I see those attributes, and I'm realizing, uh, oh yeah, he picked it up all right. But uh, it certainly wouldn't have been my desire to see that go another generation. Uh, there are other things I'm quite proud of, obviously, but, um, you know, it's who we are as a person has impact of significance. And so it's really important that we deal with the issues God speaks to us to deal with in the right time. Um, the other thing I will say is that family means much more to me now than it did in the early years. Um, and if I would look at it honestly, I'd say... Uh, much of my energy has been put into career and uh, things like that. But uh, really what's valuable to me now has more to do with family than it does career. So just toss that out to you. I uh, have Christian grandparents on both, or had Christian grandparents on both sides. I'm switching gears. No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, my parents... Both served the Lord. My father was in the Navy. My mother had gone from northern Minnesota down to Nebraska with one of her friends and met the brother. And my dad decided he wanted to marry her. He was back on leave. And so he asked her, and she said, I want to think about it. So he kept her out till after midnight and said, Okay, it's the next day. How about it? <laughs> and uh, they got married. <laughs> Um, so I, I was born in Friend, Nebraska, traveled up and down the West Coast as part of the Navy families, don't remember that at all, uh, do remember moving from Nebraska to Minnesota when I was, um, three or four, I, I don't know exactly how old that was, so that's, that's where my memories start, and that's basically where my growing up place was, um, I was more of a loner as a kid. Uh, we lived out in the country. Uh, his first child um, did not have close friends most of my growing up years. Uh, part of it was knowing that I was a Christian and most of my friends in school weren't. There was something in me that just was um, saying, I am wired different. I am not the same in this. And uh, I, I look at that as being significant also my father, the first time that I thought he was going to die, I was six. Uh, he's still living, but most of my life has been lived with the thought that dad could die any time. And so that, that had significant bearing on, on my upbringing and who I am. Um, that said, 
Uh, I grew up as a Christian. Uh, it was the change in some ways was so seamless that I can't tell you the exact date. I just know that I'd committed to Christ early on. I, I remember praying specific prayers, forgive my sins. But it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't like this was a, such a strange or dynamic new experience because it was just, it had been a part of my upbringing from infancy. Um, in junior high and high school, my folks, or my mom said, we didn't know you. And basically what, what happened to me is I internalized and um, became very shy, um, just was incapable of expressing myself. Um, part of it is when, when you are growing up as a kid and you start seeing girls as pretty and you're tongue-tied and you have no clue how to even get past that, there's a lot of uh, tension, so to speak. And for me, that all got internalized. Too afraid to even express who I was, I guess. Um, it wasn't until I went to a Christian college with hundreds of Christian kids that suddenly my, my world came alive and uh, began to come out of that shell, so to speak, and really defined that I was heading to ministry as a high school student, had that awareness probably as a young child even on, but um, began able to became able to declare that to others, particularly in my first year of college. Um, the crazy part of it was, during college, I spent almost every day wondering if God was real or not. Um, got into an, an overdose of behaviorism, both in psychology and in English that first year. And uh, it defined my life in some ways, you know, the environment around me could explain my Christianity, Christian family, Christian upbringing, you know, realized later that it had failures with other people, but um, so here I am preparing for ministry, wondering if God was real, um, virtually every day, having devotions, praying, but still having those, those questions, and that, um, that began to resolve later on when I in my first employment situation, it was a Teen Challenge Center, Christian drug rehab, basically. Uh, we did coffee house work, working every waking hour, and I'm going, I've got to decide whether I believe this stuff or not, because it's, it has the potential to kill me. You know, it's just too much work. And uh, finally decided, well, you know, if everybody if everybody is built on this set of needs, as which I'd read in psychology, you know, they all had defined man by his list of needs. I'm going, we're just needy creatures. Why not commit suicide and be done with it? And, it's, you know, it's kind of a morbid understanding, but it at least gave me some peace, realizing that everybody was at least as crazy uh, as me in that regard. Uh, later... That year, it was my first Christmas away from home. Uh, I had an aunt that had been diagnosed with cancer, couldn't go home. My favorite aunt, she died. Uh, it was one of those lonely times, and, and I was just plugging away, doing what you do, and having my devotions, and one day suddenly it's just like God broke in to my life in a way that for weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, C.S. Lewis described it as this thing of joy. You know, comes in, and, and that's, that's where I was. It just 
I just had no more worry over that from that point on. Um, later found some apologetic arguments that helped me out, but uh, that was a significant thing. In that work experience, I found out that I could do a lot more than I believed I could. As long as God was with me, I could do anything that I took on. And uh, that was a, a great experience. Um, it wore me out. Uh, I had a, um, you know, I, I ended up leaving after a year. Um, series of miracles. I ended up down in Texas uh, working for David Wilkerson, who Sharon mentioned. He was a nationally known evangelist and um, traveled the country with a, a band that won numerous uh, Dove Awards and that kind of thing. So they were, uh, they were kind of on the peak of their game, but the other part of it was uh, they, they implemented ideals in a way that I dreamed about. My first ministry experience was like all the wheels were falling off the thing, and you begin to wonder, you know, were these just ideals? And then you go to a place where it's working, and you're going, yeah, it can happen. It's just <laughs> that wasn't my first work experience. Uh, met Char, and we uh, did not like each other initially. Uh, in fact, neither one of us thought much of the other. Uh, there are reasons for that, but <laughs> I won't go into those details. Uh, but somehow we're forced to work side by side for the next months and eventually began to appreciate each other and then began to have romantic feelings out of that. Um, she can tell you how we courted and dated and how I blundered at every step, but somehow we got it taken <laughs> care of. Uh, we went from there out to San Diego. You know, the best thing for a newlywed couple is, and a, and a guy that uh, had no clue how to get things put together and wonders if he'll ever be able to get married just because he's just hadn't figured out. We went out and directed a girl's home. <laughs> which, uh, uh, and we were doing prison work and street work and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I look back and I go, what in the world? <laughs> Why did that take place? And we would have a, a dozen girls, up to a dozen girls uh, from off the streets uh, that we were working with at any one time. Uh, had as many as a dozen staff initially. Um, but again, probably after about a year wore out and uh, God sovereignly moved us on. Came back to the Midwest, felt like I was to, to enter into church ministry saw it as the most efficient vehicle of the gospel that there is. Was tired of trying to raise money to house people to do this, you know, and realized this all can happen in the church in a much more efficient method than what we were doing. But uh, came back to the Midwest, worked with an uncle down in Illinois for about a year, hated myself for a while because I wasn't in ministry. You know, just uh, knew I was called to do that, but it wasn't happening. You know, I was preaching on Sunday nights for my uncle, but it just, it's one of those times where, you know, you're going, I don't know what's wrong here. You know, in San Diego, I was the youngest director in the country, and so, you know, there's certain stars, so to speak, you know, where you're you're doing extremely well, and you're you're kind of happy with where you're at, you know. 
worked for a nationally known evangelist, then to this directorship of the Teen Challenge Center and thinking, you know what, life's on a roll. And then to end up where nothing's happening, nothing's working. And, uh, you know, you're, you're with a, an uncle that you don't necessarily even believe in his philosophy of ministry. And uh, finally the Lord spoke to my heart and said, am I mad at you? I'm going, no, I, I, I know you're not. So why are you mad at you? And uh, it was a huge understanding for me to come to. As long as he was happy with me, I could be happy with me, in spite of what was going on in the rest of my life. That set us up for our first church because we got into it and there were a lot of people unhappy with us. And going, is God happy with me? Yep. <laughs> Doesn't matter what they think. And uh, <laughs> kind of carried that philosophy for a lot of years. Um, as long as God is happy with you, what does it matter? And, and to just to, to capture that, so to speak. Um, San Diego, when we left there, we were, we were too immature to be patient with the ministry there. Um, we were trying to get everything done at once. And I realized later, looking back, there was a lifetime worth of ministry there. I just wasn't patient enough to let it come to me. And so that was a, a major lesson. Um, when we moved to Wisconsin to Pastor Church, we were there nine and a half years. Um, that, the, that was a very difficult situation for the first few years. And, uh, you know, you're, just, you're doing your very best, but it just doesn't seem to be working, and you're hoping God would get you out of there. It's not happening. And I think maybe the biggest lesson out of that place for us was that uh, he taught us to start exerting our faith and to just trust him and to not be looking at the, the negative all the time, but just say, he has good intent for our lives. So we're going to live our lives according to that. And if we believe he's called us to do something, we're going to start practicing that, whether it has any fruit at all in the moment. And that was a, that was a turning point, I think, for our lives in that particular setting. Um, Crystal Lake followed that for ten and a half years, northern Illinois. Um, that, was, uh, that was a good season. Again, it was very complicated. I, I worked as a construction, uh, well, concrete laborer and finisher for seven years uh, while pastoring the church, three kids, four kids, nephew were living with us part of the time. Um, it got very intense. I, my commutes ran regularly an hour and 50 minutes one way. Um, you know, you add that on to a work day, then trying to come home, remodel a house, uh, pastor the church. It just, it was craziness. But in that, uh, you reach a point where you, you really don't even care what happens anymore. You don't care if you're pastoring. You don't care if you have family. You don't care. I mean, you just kind of, that's kind of where I got to. And then God took us down to uh, Brownsville, Florida, to a series of meetings that really changed our lives and revitalized us. And right after that, we there was... Uh, Outpouring of God in Smith, Missouri. We met those people. We were up in Toronto. 
There was a camp speaker named Randy Williams who just blew me out of the water. There were, there were, it was like boom, 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 boom. A man named Bob Griffith, Griffith who introduced us to the modern prophetic. And suddenly our lives were on fire again. And you're going, I, I didn't see this coming. I, I was locked into this, doing my best, but it, you know, and suddenly he just makes it open. In the midst of that, he called us up here, um, which surprised us a great deal. We didn't, we, we really had no interest in coming to this region. Didn't anticipate it being a great experience. Um, the initial uh, first year or so was particularly confrontational. I came in with a different vision of what had been done and within six weeks there was a, a group meeting to see if they could throw us out and I'm going, I'd rather get thrown out for what I believe in than to try to just maintain. And so uh, God was very faithful to us during that season and allowed us victory. Um, and we found that, you know, a person with vision can withstand a whole lot that don't have any. And yet within about three years, things had turned. Uh, we had two years that I would say there was an absolute unity in the group unlike anything I'd ever participated in. Virtually no struggle. Just nothing. You know, and it was one of those moments you're just saying, I better remember this because this is special. And it has been very wonderful for us from then on, but it, you know, that was a, a, one of those turning times you're just going, I, I have a hard time even believing it can be this nice. Uh, but it, it's like we were designed for this. And that's, uh, um, any questions to that stage? We're going to move into some other topics now, but we'll let it be at that. Okay. Let's talk marriage for a bit. <laughs> we were talking about what we were going to share earlier, and I offended her. <laughs> I go, this is not the best way to start out. <laughs> so we're still, we're still a work in progress. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. <laughs> I, had, I had written down a, a comment uh, Neither, in, in marriage, neither party is stupid. It may take you a while to truly believe that because of the vast differences between men and women. Um, when I was giving Charlotte the illustration of what I had, it, it stirred up some feelings. And, and realizing that we've, we've talked about a lot of this, we've worked through a lot of it, but we're still working on things. And uh, that was kind of, uh, it was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go in there too much further with that. Uh, what happens at times is I, I'm, I'm goal-driven. I want to get to the point. And that can come across as abrupt or accusatory. And so often when I'm asking a question, I'm asking it in yes or no terms. And at times there is accusation with it. That's true. But as often as not, it's just this, get to the point. Let's do this. And often the answer I'll get back is a meandering of explaining the circumstances. Now, 
I will get to the end and I'll go, well, did, was that a yes or a no? You know, and I'm kind of chiding going, I have just sat through two minutes of explanation, but really this is, and she's going, you're, the journey's just as important as the point. And so she's trying to bring me back to the, the setting, you know, which is completely appropriate. But, you know, I, me, bottom line. You know, and so that's where that tension can really, at times, stir the pot, so to speak. <laughs> Am I doing okay so far? <laughs> is there anything you'd like to... <laughs> I think that um, this working out of differences of personalities, and you can't you can't uh, just say uh, guys all think this way or act this way, and women always act this way. Uh, there are generalizations that most often apply, but there are differences in personalities. Plus, there's differences in experiences. You know your backgrounds what you've already been through, um, how you perceive things are different. So if I say something to John, and I'm, I'm stating it through the lens of my past experience and how I think, and he doesn't get it, or... Now realize, he, we've known each other longer than we were ever... Apart. Apart. Yeah. But it's still working on it. <laughs> We're still working on it. it but you can't, um, sometimes I think what happens, not only in marriage, but just in relationships, you expect that that person is going to understand your perspective. And sometimes they have no clue. So we get offended at people when they um, they didn't understand it the way we said it. But really, we were saying it in a way they couldn't understand because they're not coming from our perspective. One of the things that, that happens to us is that um, Char will process as she talks, and so the story is very important to her. Me, I want to go away, figure it out, and then declare, you know, this is... I've worked things out. This is what is. And so I will get upset if I hear her telling me a story when I'm going, I've heard this one before. Or I've, she's still processing and working it. Me, on the other hand, she's going, he doesn't say anything. Why does he have to, have, you know, why does he have to get away? We were just talking about something. Why, why is he trying to move out of here, you know, and get in this quiet place? We're not done yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so I carried some angers in regard to that kind of thing probably 15 years into our marriage. I just don't learn that fast, you know. You know, it, it finally dawned on me, she's not changing, but God isn't really insisting that she change because that's how he wired her. In fact, I better learn to adapt to this because it's going to be there a long time, the rest of her life. And once I was able to, to release some of that, I was much happier than, than I'd ever been in marriage. But it was, it was almost like saying, 
She's not stupid. She's very bright. In fact, you know, if you want to compare college grades, there's no comparison. This gal did much better than I did. Um, you know, but it's, it's that thing of trying to, you know, just sort it out and just say we're wired differently, but we're together now, so how are we going to work together with this? Um, I guess, too, there's, there's an understanding that neither partner is perfect. And so uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you're together. They may never get it together in a particular area, but you are, you're joined. And, and so there is a thing of, well, that's who we are. And it's no more just saying, well, that's what they do, or that's what they, no, that's who we are in our identity tied together. And, you know, you, you take it for what it is and, and you walk on. Now, the other thing is there are some strengths that you gain from the other that you never had on your own. And so it has a, it has a good and a bad sense to it in that. I would say that um, in any relationship, you have to view uh, what the other person brings in as valuable. You know, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a, a co-worker, whether it's uh, a husband, wife, whether it's parent, child, they are of value. What they bring into the picture is valuable. It may never look the way you thought it would. It doesn't make it wrong. You know, I think that sometimes, especially in our culture right now, um, we have these images of uh, men understanding women, you know, and, and... and uh, being the perfect Prince Charming, and women being, um, I don't know. I'll speak from a woman's perspective. I think that our culture is doing great damage to the Christian community because they've painted this picture of guys that's really wrong. And we bring that into... Uh, our Christian culture, and we want, uh, sometimes we want the men in our lives, whether they're our husbands or our co-workers, to think like women. God didn't design them to think like women. He designed them to think like men, and what has happened in our Two culture... Two mornings ago, she's going, I know I married a man. I know I married a man. He's he was being silly. Yeah, so. I like body noises. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, there are differences that are going to be there for life. You and know? he will eventually grow up. We have heaven to look forward to. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes we make it a, a thing of they're wrong because they're not thinking like me. And um, God didn't create us all to think the same or to be the same. I mean, if we all had the same thought processes and we all had the same talents, we would have a very narrow gene pool. You know, we wouldn't have much diversity in the body of Christ. We would all be eyes or we would all be thumbs, but we wouldn't have a complete body. I want to make another point. Neither partner is completely selfish or sacrificial. You know, there are times when each of us functions in those areas. There are times when you're selfish 
and uh, you know you need to declare it for what it is and, and apologize when appropriate. There are other times when you do sacrifice just so that the the two of you can flourish, and that's that's just a reality. Um, I'll say one of the reasons that God called me into ministry is that at least once a week I have to stand before him and say I desperately need something from you to present and he's going not until you apologize to your wife I'm going are you sure you know she did this and it's like numerous times in our first church I remember calling home on Saturday nights going Please forgive me. <laughs> and in, in unspoken was because God's not talking to me until, you do, until I take care of this. And so, but, uh, you know, at least he was dealing in my heart and, and forcing me to this place where, you know, you, you're somewhere along the line, you're going, I don't really want to step over that boundary because he thinks a great deal of her. <laughs> you know, it's like... You know, when I when I say these things, and and often as not, it's uh, I have a, a biting humor or a sarcasm that I've, you know, I'm I'm still trying to get out of my life, but it's it's there and it's been used on her many many times, and and uh, you know, and then you have to go back and apologize. <laughs> I'm just gonna say amen. <laughs> I will say probably the greatest lesson that John taught me early in our marriage or in our relationship actually was how to say I'm sorry. Because in my family growing up, you never said you were sorry. You just act, acted really nice the next time. You know, you never acknowledged I was wrong. What I did was wrong. Will you forgive me? And uh, I had to learn how to say that. Because we have to learn to acknowledge our sin before God. Uh, it's not it's not good enough sometimes to say, I feel bad. God, forgive me for whatever I may have done and help me feel better. It's really important that we say, um, I have sinned in this way. I've let my thoughts go this direction. I've been unkind. I've been selfish. I've been uh, mean-spirited. I, whatever he's dealing with us on, this is what is not Christ-like in my life, I acknowledge it as being not Christ-like, not like God, and I have to ask forgiveness. And sometimes that means you have to go to your children, to your spouse, to your friends, and say, what I did was not Christ-like, and I need you to forgive me. I acknowledge it was sin. And then, then you're, you're free. Um, I shared this in my um, women's Bible study on Wednesday. Two of the areas in my life that I've struggled with has been worry. And then when I'm upset with somebody, gossip. And I've had to go to people and say, I took it too far. I wasn't speaking out of concern for their hearts changing. I just wanted you to know how bad they were and how good I was. And that was wrong. And God's dealt with me over and over and over again about that throughout my life. 
And I've had some really good friends that I could go to and say, I need you to hold me accountable. If I step over the line, call it for what it is. Tell me, you're gossiping. This isn't spiritual concern anymore. It's gossip. And then I've had to apologize. And I've had to call friends up and say, you know, I said it in the guise of prayer, but it really wasn't the guise of prayer. You know, I was venting, and I need you to forgive me for taking, bringing you into the circle of something you shouldn't have been brought into. One of the areas that uh, has become obvious to us later in our marriage or in the last, say, 10 years is that um, there are aspects of what we call compatible dysfunction where you actually blend together, and they're not as obvious uh, weak points because, uh, because of the actual blending that happens. And for us, uh, I'm, I tend to be the dominant one in the relationship, and so regularly I would be going, let's do this. I have a, I have a grand dream, you know. Got to do this. And she'd be going, okay. She's compliant, and so what would happen is we'd get halfway into this dream and I'd be going, I feel like I'm having to drag her. You know, she said yes, but she's not really running with me on this. And it used to, you know, I'm going, what's wrong? You know, well, finally, it, it, through a series of events, it, it just dawned on us. I wasn't giving her time to catch the dream, so to speak. You know, I'm speaking leadership. I'm speaking, let's do this. But there needed to be a time where she could process it, work through it, and say, yeah, that's a good dream. Let's do this. And instead, compliancy was going, yeah, I'm ready to go. And me, Dominic, going, you know, I'm running over people. Let's, you know. And that, that didn't really reveal itself to our understanding until we'd been married many years. Uh, part of it was we lived in the house right next door, and that summer we were going to buy a house, and I was looking for a fixer-upper because that's how I'd made money. I took her by maybe 100 houses, and I'd get this little, what do you mean? She just wasn't having it. And, and rightfully so. We'd been seven years in remodeling each of those houses. I would be off working. She'd be home in it. You know? So it, brutal in that regard. Um, so when it came time, we're going through it, and then finally it reaches a point where I said, you go look. You know? And she comes back an hour later, I remember, because I was, I was frosty. Said, There's not many things out there. You think? <laughs> you know, it was one time when things were selling like crazy. She had to understand what I was wrestling through, but I also had to come to the understanding she didn't have it in her to do that kind of house again. We walked into the house that we live in, and it had been newly painted inside, and the floors had been redone. And I'm going, oh, no. Because I knew I would not get her to look at another house. And there were things I didn't like, but... It was the, a very appropriate house for us. You know, but when we started to go back and say, well, how did we get into that situation? And why was it so tough? 
for us to make this decision. Well, she was tired of getting run over. You know, and so finally, she was going, and I'm going, what do you mean? You've never done, you know. But it, it, we had to just begin to sort it out, and what I hopefully am doing better is that when I have an idea of what needs to happen next, I'm, I'm bringing it, but I'm also giving her that time to ask questions, to think about it, and, and, and in a sense come back to me and say, I want this dream. Or sometimes now it's, I want this dream for you. In fact, when we bought the land out in Scandia, she probably was more the driving force in that than I was, and yet it, would, it had been my dream for many, many years. And it was one of those things where I'm going, maybe this does work. If you, <laughs> you know, maybe you can teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, any comments to that? Um, I think I'm going to leave it alone at that. <laughs> um, there are things where you just are wired differently, and what we're saying is it's better to embrace it rather than to try to to constantly change. Um, there, there are things that I found after I started, after I quit pushing so hard, that... I saw some changes in her in things that had, had frustrated me for a very long time, and I realized later she was putting her foot down, but in a way that it wasn't open rebellion, but it was like, it was this buried, I'm somebody too. And when I backed off, there were some things that she let go of that I'm going, why'd that happen now? Well, she felt freer, and um, in a sense, like, I wasn't just going to trample her feelings. And so it, it has brought us into a better place together as a result of that. Uh, There's no such thing as a perfect marriage, but there are godly marriages. Every marriage is going to have um, brick walls, and they're going to have great times and some struggles. That's true of most relationships. You know, it doesn't have to be marriage. But if you are saying, God has called me into this and I am committed, I am going to uh, remain steadfast, he will teach you. If you're open to being taught, he will teach you. So you can, you may not have a perfect marriage. I don't think there is such a thing. Because... If you if you ask someone have you've I've, we've never had a fight I think you either don't talk very much or you don't live in the same house. I think too for us, I, I, for myself, our marriage is as happy now as it's ever been, and I'd say that over the last years it's been, at least for me, a very um, satisfying relationship, and you know so it's like. Um, you're kind of going, well, is this just a thing of enduring? Because there's di- no, it, it, uh, as you embrace each other for who they are, it, it opens the door to help that, that hasn't been before that. Um, you know, are there things that I would change about my wife? Yeah. <laughs> Will I tell you what they are? No. 
and does it matter? Not really. I mean, she has a list as well, I'm sure. You know, that's going, he could do this a whole lot better. And it's true, but you recognize you are together for better, for worse. And so it's better to make the most out of that once you've made that commitment. And that's kind of where we are on that page. Um, a few years ago, I came to the conclusion, watching some different things, going, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed even the rest of today. So every time I leave the house, I'm going to try to tell her that I love her. Uh, so that if there was ever this last moment, so to speak, there's this awareness in her heart that this was his declaration over me. Um, I think you can make choices like that that enhance what you're doing. Um, you know, it's, those are conscious choices, but they, they bear good fruit. And so when you see things like that that work, you decide this is what I'm going to do. Any questions you want to bring up or ask us uh, about how we do things or what we've done? What surprised you the most about marrying a guy? You grew up with five sisters. Oh, that was... Use the mic. <laughs> it was eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> I really did not understand. Uh, my father was a construction worker, so he worked away from home most of my life. I remember my dad living in our house my sixth grade year and my senior year. The rest of the time he was on the road, and we would spend summers wherever he was working. But um, with all girls in the family... I just did not understand guys at all. And I don't know that I still understand guys, to be honest. But um, I don't know. Uh, very definitely difference in communication. And John's getting a, a dose of this right now because it's me and Hannah and Sun. And so we have girl talk. We, have, we like Pride and Prejudice. And we can watch it every few weeks and it's fine you know and he walks in and goes has the ending changed you know um i don't really like die hard you know just it's there's some differences there um ways of communicating it's probably a was the christmas movie <laughs> kids are singing buildings are blowing, are blowing up, up. No, that one caught me off guard. I'm, okay, I'm you want to think about that? To you want to process that? Ultimately, you have to say, I believe in God's faithfulness, and so you live accordingly. I was looking back just this week going, that year in St. Louis and that year in San Diego were both brutal experiences. Um, I, I went, St. Louis was stressful enough that I went into 
a, uh, barber, uh, a barber school, and they called everybody over to see how dry my hair was. And it, that was all stress-related. It was curly then. <laughs> but it, that's how much the effect that it was having on me physically. But I go back to those years and I realize what I am practicing now and how I perceive ministry and everything else was formulated in those years. And my confidence in who I am as a person, all of that was welded in that fire. And so I look back now and go, that was beneficial to my life. But in the moment, I, I couldn't see anything that was truly beneficial. Um, the, in St. Louis in particular, I saw 18 people come and go in the same position that I had in that year. So, I mean, they were in and out of the door like flies. And there was, when you're dealing with people in crisis, it's hard for that crisis not to spill over into your own life. People talking suicide, you don't release that very easy. You know, or you're, you're having to kick somebody out who uh, is insistent on doing drugs, but you know that they, they don't have anywhere to go. You know, and so or there's, say, a, a, a guy that's in your program on uh, probation or parole even, coming out of jail. He doesn't want to be there, so he's just scamming, you know, trying to to do the bare minimum, and he's leading a rebellion in the household, and you've got to have an answer. You know, and you see God intervene for you, and, you know, and so it's, it's like it's that just building you, you know, this confidence. God, God does what he needs to do. Uh, you know, it's like I had a, my, one of my first preaching experiences. I had, we had scheduled an outside speaker, he called up five minutes before service and, and wasn't going to be able to get there. But I had a house that was just in turmoil, and I had to have something that night. And so I'm, dear God, you know this situation. He gives me a reference, and I look it up, and, and it was the central verse to a parable. And so I got up five minutes later, and I preached one of the best messages that I had to that point. And it was one of those times where I'm going, God did something that I couldn't do, you know, and he came through in a big way. And so you're going, that'll happen again, you know, and, and it did. I, uh, numerous times in San Diego, I was speaking four and five times a week, uh, again, working every waking hour. Char would be reading the Bible to me on my way to a speaking engagement so I could get something to, to give and and invariably it happened you know so I cut my teeth on extemporaneous speaking that way but it you know it was used for that season of life and you gain a confidence that the Holy Spirit is going to work through you even though you have no clue why <laughs> you know, just know that he is I'd also say sometimes Johanna the it's the principle of just putting one foot in front of the other you just do what needs to be done. And whether you're feeling the joy of it in the moment or you're feeling like there's going to be any results, if you know God has called you to something, you just keep doing it. I remember um, the first year that I started cooking meals for the church, I knew God had told me to do it, and I got tired. I just, I just got worn out, and it was like, I don't want to do this. No one's helping me. And... Uh, 
I can tell you, it was down at the bottom of the stairs in that little landing between the nursery and the, and the dining hall where God said, did I ask you to do this? And I said, yes. And he said, does it matter whether I asked anybody else to do it? And I had to say, no. I know what you asked me to do. And he gave me a, a new joy for the season. But you just keep putting your foot one foot in front of the other until God says stand still. Sacrifice and perseverance are assumed, an assumed part of the Christian life. You know, that you're going to be giving your best effort. There's going to be a measure of perseverance. There's going to be a measure of sacrifice. That's part of our calling in him. And so even in that, though, there's a knowledge that I don't have the ability to accomplish this even with sacrifice and perseverance except that God do something. And it's, you know, those times are amazing because you realize there was nothing I could have done. I did everything I could, and it wasn't enough, and yet God came through. Uh, I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned that, that meeting held on a Saturday night after we'd been here six weeks. What happened to break the back of that was the next morning we had a powerful, powerful Sunday morning service didn't have another one like that for many years. But in, in that particular service, people got saved. There were people called into ministry. There was uh, just numerous things transpiring that didn't happen again for a very long time. But it, you know, people said, well, God was here. We can't go forward with this. And it, it kind of broke the back of the opposition in that moment. Uh, don't discount mundaneness either. You know, sometimes you, you feel like this job isn't exciting, this ministry isn't exciting, this marriage isn't exciting, this, these kids aren't that exciting, whatever. But life has mundane seasons. It's still life. It's still good. You can find God's goodness in it. Um, it cannot all be mountaintops or valleys, there's some level ground that's just just normal life. You're just going through life, and that's not bad. Last thing you want to share, or what's happening now, or something of that nature. Like I said, I think that the greatest thing that God has taught me is that uh, discipleship is, which we are all called to do, we are all called to go and make disciples. We're not, you know, the Bible doesn't say go out and evangelize. I mean, that's part of the discipleship process. But discipleship is uh, me just coming alongside you and sharing life with you. And um, for me, right now, I'm mom to a lot of young women, and I love it. I have people who say, I want to learn how to can. Can you teach me how to make soap? Um, just, just little things. It's not like I'm uh, the world's greatest Bible teacher or I'm the world's greatest anything. But I get to share life. And when I'm working alongside a young woman and we're making applesauce or we're talking about um, diaper rash cream. I don't know. You know, just 
I'm sharing life with her. And somewhere in that time, sometimes a really good question comes up. I'm going through this struggle, or I'm, I've been thinking about this, and I get to say, well, this is what the Word of God says. And it, they go, oh, okay. And we go on. It's not like we spend the next five hours talking theology. It's just a little blurb. But I've, I'm parenting in that moment, and I love it. And I really feel like God is... Um, He's taught me because of what I did raising my own children. Um, I think I said before, I really struggled. When I started having children and I could do less and less publicly, I really struggled. It was like, you mean I spent five years in Bible college for this? I'm stuck in the house with three babies, and I don't get to see anybody. Mr. Rogers is my only adult. And I cannot, I cannot handle this. And he had a sweater, though. Huh? He had a nice sweater, yes. Um, God told me then, he said, give me this season, and I'll bring everything back. And he has. All the things that I wanted. But you know what? It's not in the format that I thought it was going to be. You know, when you're young, you have these grand pictures. Uh, if you're going to be an evangelist, it's going to be worldwide crusades. If you're going to be a missionary, you're going to win a whole continent. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sorting out of ego with what's real, you know, and to come to a place saying, this is who I am. You know, I, I'm not Billy Graham. You know, it, you, know it, you can look and, and say, I want to go past that person or that person. The truth is, God will place you where he wants you. He'll give the amount of of uh, success that he wants you to have. And, you know, if you try to press past those boundaries, you end up being very frustrated, but it, it isn't necessarily going to work good. One of the choices we made early on, we went into places that needed help. We figured that emotionally, and, and we were wired with a perseverance and a capability to go into complication and not be overwhelmed. And so we've chosen to go into settings like that, but it also meant shutting the door on some other things that may have been regarded as successful. And uh, that is something that you don't necessarily even realize the full uh, implications of it, but you know you're doing the right thing when God calls you to it. For some, it's a different story, but for us, that's been our journey. Um, we could answer more questions. I realize we've already been close to an hour. So um, I'll, I'll finish by sharing what I think is going on in my life right now. Um, God has been healing memories in me that I didn't know needed healing. Um, when he brings up things from my childhood, um, and reprocesses them with me, or even in my uh, teen years or my 20s or 30s, uh, things that, that I haven't thought about for many years, and he pulls that memory back, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and yet somehow he's moving that into health. I never anticipated that ever happening. I've always assumed that I'm 
doing great. You know, I'm healthy. I love God. I'm, I'm living victorious in Him. So why do I need that? And, and yet that's been going on in my life over the last bit, and I never, never saw that coming at all. The other thing that he's, <laughs> it's been an even bigger surprise, is that uh, by having a house full of women now and working with another woman in the office, God is uh, forcing me to communicate, understand the female psyche in a way that I never have before. Um, you know the the uh, uh, the story of uh, Beauty and the Beast. No one fights like Gaston. No one farts like Gaston. Nobody. I was happy with that as my identity. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's you, you try to be a man's man, okay? And, and you know, you 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 walk in that, and then you suddenly realize there's half the world that I've really not put much energy into understanding. I have my wife, who's my lover, and we've shared life, but going outside of that sphere has never been very high in my thinking. And uh, I, I thought I was, but you know what he's begun to tinker with is, you know, I had a conversation with the Lord some months ago and went, you know, I'm going to be 60 soon. 20 more years and this thing's done. Why bother? You know, let's just, you know, it's been good for three quarters of my life. Let's just leave it. And uh, I, I feel like the Lord is going, nah, that's, I'm not happy with that. And so um, what it means is, is tinkering with things that... Now, my journey in dealing with sexual profanity and sexual thought that was twisted has, been, has gone on for a lot of years. I, I committed to a path of righteousness and in a sense locked things down so that I wasn't behaving profane, but my thought life still never had true control of the Lord until much later. And um, through a series of things, I felt like he challenged me. And so I started walking through that and, and moving toward purity. And in a sense, what I've been describing, I'm still trying to verbalize this, but it's like I learned Every Man's Battle, the book. I, I, I learned how to shut the door. I just never learned how to open up in an emotional sense without the intertwined twistedness of, sexuality as I grew up with it. And so to try to do that in a, in a pure sense has been a, a significant challenge for me. And that's kind of defines what's been going on. Uh, I, uh, I'll give you an illustration. About two or three weeks ago, I felt very proud of myself for having two conversations with women in the church that were directionless, and uh, I'm still trying to define it, meandering, you know, didn't have to go anywhere, we were just chatting. Uh, have you guessed that he's not a chit-chat person? And I, I just feel real good about myself, you know, I, I did it, <laughs> two, of, <laughs> two of them, 
And uh, I went over to Kurt Reif, and I'm going, how you feeling? How am I feeling? You know, it's like, it was like, and I'm going, kind of switch gears. You know, I said, you know, I should have just gone over and grunted. And we'd have been happy. We'd have just stood by each other, you know, and then we could have separated. But I'm having to learn, you know, there's a difference here. And, uh, you know, and so I'm, I'm trying to sort that stuff out. Char's been very gracious with me, saying, you know, it's about time he started <laughs> dealing with this, but, uh, you know, that that's one of those things that I feel like the Lord is kind of insisting that I take care of now, and, and uh, um, so that's that's been unusual. The whole thing of uh, sustainable living for us, in some ways, started about the time we realized we were going to have grandkids going, we really want to be active in their lives. We also realize that healthcare-wise, uh, we don't have the best coverage, so we better try to be healthy rather than depend on medical systems. Uh, that and saying, if we position ourselves right, we can have vibrant relationships with your generation probably through our 70s if we position ourselves in the right place. You know, if, if learning how to garden is one of those things. We had a couple that mentored us, and they were about 80. And we, we longed to go over to their house because it was a place of peace. They would just kind of chat with us, share life stories. And, and we always went away very encouraged. And we're going, we would like to be that couple someday. And so that, you know, started to become a target. And then, then looking around and seeing a culture that's kind of falling apart and a country that's kind of adrift right now going, we're not guaranteed things, so we, we want to, you know, position ourselves for a better place of health. And so that, that's been a large part of our thinking over the last few years that it um, has changed for us. But anyway, that's where we're at right now. Well, get in the last word. No. no. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> guess you are. Lord, I thank you for this night and uh, privilege of sharing. I pray that you'll use whatever's been said for your glory, and that uh, for each of us there'd be that knowledge that we're works in progress, and that you have grand desire for our lives. And that uh, as we submit to you and as we follow you, uh, each day can be new and your mercies known new every day. Amen.